0: Jimmy R. from
1: Maryland.
2: I'm Jimmy R. I'm an addict. I'm clean through the grace of my loving Father in Heaven. Grateful to the people of the rooms of Narcotics Anonymous who gave me a life, showed me how to live it. The 12 steps and 12 traditions allow me to carry along that spiritual path. That's something I never want to forget. Um, because for me, it was... Um, Somebody who believes in me, and at the top of that list, is God. Because at the end of my using, if you're a drug addict of my kind, I was in a fetal position asking God to just take me. I'm ready to go. You know? Um, I used, just to touch a little bit for the newcomers they are here, just to touch on a little bit the way I used was, I used alcohol and heroin for over 30 years. And that's why I say thank God for crack It got me here in two months. Man, when them crackheads get up at this mic and say, I'll smoke crack for five years, I go, Oh man. How in the world you smoke crack for five years. that's the worst job I ever had. You ever see a crackhead shoes you anything up is the top of the shoe? The rest is gone. Eh? You know, but God allows them little light bulbs to go off in our head. And the light bulb went off uh, in my head when I was sitting around the table passing the crack pipe. And it says, Jimmy, you finally arrived. You're now doing a drug you can't get enough of. That's the way it is, you know. And, um you know... uh I'd like to make this meeting sort of like a tribute to the people that really believed in me because, you know, I, you know, I, I always had that loving, caring God. You know, when I was in jail, you know, you get me out of this one and I'll never do it again type of thing, you know. But I started realizing through the, the old timers, the men and women that helped me get clean, I started learning you know, about all the other people that believed in me, like my mother and father and friends, guys you work with. I mean, I terrorized my plant that I worked in. You know, I always say I retired from a plant through the grace of God and a powerful union. Because, you know, I should have been fired, you know, like every other drug a million times. Can you believe I had a job that had unlimited sick leave? (laughs) So I didn't work for six summers. And the last time, you know that little box on sort the of form you got to fill out? It says, why are you out? Well, I filled it out when I was in a drunken stupor, and I put on there broken eyelash. <laughs> this, this woman went to the two guys and said, hey, Jimmy R's been out for three weeks. What's he out for now? Broken eyelash. So she went to the plan manager. She said, uh, you know Jimmy R's? Yeah, I know him. What do you do now? He said, well, he's been out on sick leave for three weeks with a broken eyelash. The secretary fell right out of the chair. She thought that was the funniest thing she ever heard. Years later, she used to walk by me and go, <laughs> she didn't know any habits, you know. But you know what? Stuff starts to happen in your life, you know, and, and, and like I said, these light bulbs start going off where you have to have a change. And I visited my partner in prison. Right? And, and, and I'm sitting across from him, and he says, How come me you've done all the same things, and I've been in here for 22 years, and you've been out there? And I looked at him, and I said, Every time we robbed somebody, I went home and got on my knees, and I said, God, forgive me, and I meant it. I said, Every time we beat somebody up, I went home and got on my knees, and I said, God, forgive me. And he looked at me, and he said, You know what, man, that's the difference in me and you. I abandoned God a long time ago. But through the program of Narcotics Anonymous, he found him over six years ago. He's sitting in that front row. <laughs> See, he believed in me, and he believed he owed, he owed me, and he came to these rooms, and like he says, he sat in his seat one day too long. That's what happened to me. <laughs> yeah? And what happened to happen is what this fellowship is all about. And I think a lot of times in the fellowship of Narcotics and Anonymous, we take too lightly what is our, our bloodline, and that is the 12 steps. And, and you know what? The first two years in here, I'm going to sum up what Jimmy's life was like. I got here in March of 1987, and from March of 1987 to March of 1989, here's my story. Nailed, jail bailed, nailed, jail bailed, and a couple of ODs. See, because when I got out of treatment, they told me, You gotta go to a meeting every day, you gotta throw yourself into this. You know? Well, I got out of the meet out of the rehab with all the best intentions in the world. How bad addicts with best intentions. That's why remember when you woke up at ten o'clock in the morning and said, I'm not using today. By ten thirty you couldn't even stand up. That was me. You know, and what happened was um I called this woman up who luckily at that time had a lot of years and she and I was I was you know I was using up the quarter liquor and a and, uh, day, and I was eating the bag of heroin because I could no longer get the needle on my arm and I couldn't get the straw on my nose. That's another one of those those light bulbs going off you're 41 years old, and before you go to work you've got to snort your rug. Oh that ain't it, it? yeah <laughs> That's how I started my day eating a bag of heroin. Anybody ever eat a bag of heroin? It ain't the breakfast of champions, I can say that right now. So anyway, I got out of treatment, my meetings slowed down, they stopped, and I picked up. And I can remember like it was yesterday. I was out there mowing my lawn, best intentions in the world, staying clean, and this girl pulled up in front of my house with a convertible, and she had them hot pants on, she had that six-pack of beer with the moisture running down it, and she opened her hand up, and she had a bag of heroin. Now, I don't know about anybody else, but that needs all my knees, so I was gone, you know. The only thing I can remember was looking back and seeing a lawnmower going like this at us. We got to go. We got to go, Yeah. You know? And what happened was, she said to me that morning, early in the morning, she said, Jimmy, I believe you want this thing, but what you got to do is, you got to get a home group. You got to get a sponsor. You got to get a job in a home group, and you have to work the twelve steps. Bingo. I, about an hour later, I called the man five o'clock in the morning and asked him to be my sponsor. And he didn't say to me, "Are you out of your mind? Call me five o'clock in the morning." He said, "This. If you cannot use today, I'll take you to a meeting tonight, and I'm going to put you in on the first step." Ladies and gentlemen, they were the words that launched me through the archway to freedom. I've never found it necessary to use a mind or mood ordering drug since that day. See, see, because now I have a map, I have direction. And I looked at the first step and it talked about unmanageability. Man, my life was, you know what, I was so crazy that my wife had all these checkbooks, you know. And she was on like check six, and I went and cashed check six ninety nine. I thought they had to use all them checks before she would get that again. At the end of that month, that check come in. She said, "Oh, I got six seven eight and $6.99. I mean, that's how out to of touch with the world I was, man. So I started learning what unmanageability is in all areas of my life. And see, here's the key about unmanageability. When I sponsor my sponsors, I gotta make them understand unmanageability in all areas of your life. It ain't just putting down the dope. Alcoholics Anonymous says we're pirates over alcohol. Gambler's anonymous says we're powerless over gambling. Always Paris over eating. We're Paris over everything. That's why it says addiction. Yeah. I belong in AA, a, o a Triple I belong in all oh, man. I'm an addict to the bone, man. I had a sponsor come up to me and he said, oh, I just got a credit card. I said, Oh no. I said, what did you set the limit at? He said, $2,000. I said, well, that's all right. A month later, outside of a meeting, he called up. He said, hey, brother, can I get $20? I said, take that card down to the machine and get $20. He said, oh, I can't. I'm over my limit. I said, man, your limit was $2,000. I said, what did you buy for $2,000? He said, I bought $2,000 worth of crafting tools. I said, man, you ain't even a mechanic. Timers told me the first split in the road comes between the first and second step. You can get a good idea right there. Because a person that understands unmanageability is going to plug into a power greater than himself. The other ones are going to go a little bit farther down the book where it says doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. See, my sponsor early on only made one mistake with me. He said you need to make women friends. I said, I've been waiting for this. This redhead came through the door, and I said, I'm going to make her my friend. Two weeks later, she was banging on my window, and I opened them curtains up. She said, those words us men love to hear, we need to talk. So I shut them curtains, and I got on my knees, and I said, God, if you remove her from my life... I will never ask you for another thing. Watch what you pray for. You just might get it. And here's the good thing of that why God had me in that relationship. I sponsor a son. He's got 11 years clean. He's getting ready uh, to have 12 years when I get home. He's a great father. He works every day. And he's got three children he takes care of. That's wild. That's another thing we lost. How about that work? I love that when a guy comes up to me and he goes, hey, can you give me a job? I say, well, wait a minute. Let me get this straight. You want to make about 100000 a year. You want to work about 20 hours a week. And you want to tell everybody what to do. I say, when I find that job, I'm going to keep it. So in the third step is when I started changing my fears to faith. My sponsor had me break down the serenity prayer. How about that? The wisdom to know the difference. Here Jimmy eat these, okay. Here Jimmy shoot this, okay. Here Jimmy smoke this, okay. The wisdom to know the difference. knows a sentence. And I learned that in a serenity prayer from people that believed in me and thought I could change, that I could make it, you know. And I got into the four step and the first thing he had me do which break down the seven deadly sins. Pride, lust. I'm pride for my pride, lust for my lust. i got a beautiful wife and a beautiful girlfriend. You don't get to. That's why I don't have any. <laughs> See, I learned all that in that four step. I learned my patterns. Guess who became my teachers? All of you, you became my teacher, because I still like women that dance on tables, but I always end up under the table. You know? So what happened was, in the fourth step, I learned my patterns. In the fifth step, from my patterns, I learned the exact nature of my wrongs. My sponsees come up and tell me I'm going to rob that bank. I say, go ahead, if you're willing to pay the consequences. It's as simple as that. In the sixth step, I learned what my character defects was my thought process. You know, Jimmy's thought process is what got him there, you know. I was a little kid in school. Remember in the school they asked you what you wanted to be, you know, and they said, Joey, what do you want to be? And he go, I want to be a fireman teacher. Johnny, what do you want to be? I want to be a police officer teacher. Jimmy, what do you want to be? I want to be a member of organized crime. I almost made it. I became a member of unorganized crime. All my guys were going in and out of the penitentiary. So I started learning what my thought process was in the sixth step. And right between the sixth step and the seventh step comes another awakening. We learn about humility. And humility is what we're going to need to stay here. Because I believe everybody that's in a narcotics anonymous meeting has this much gratitude. And it grows and grows as you stay here. But eventually, gratitude is going to carry you to a bridge. And on the other side of that bridge is humility. And people ask me all the time, Jimmy, you know, how come he used with 15 years? How come she used with 16 years? She fell off the bridge. They fell off the bridge before they got to the other side. Because to stay here, you're going to use, you're going to need humility. And I thank God. My first sponsor took me to a meeting that was pretty big, somewhere, something like this. And he said, "See these people in here?" I said, "Yeah." He said, "They're all going to die from the most. of are going to die from this disease." I said, "No, they're all here. They're all right." He said, "They ain't staying here. They're not staying here." And I've come to understand that. You know what he did to me? He said, "Get my car," and he drove me to a funeral power. And I said, what, they got meetings and funeral powers? He said, no. He said, see, I got a lady out up there. I said, yeah. He said, go say a prayer for him. So I went around and said a prayer for the guy. And I came back and we walked out. And I said, what was that all about? He said, that guy had 36 years clean. He died of an overdose." Man, that broke my bubble right there. I see I, I, I earn my seat and I sit there and we all go out on them road trips. I welcome you back, but you ain't taking me with you because you ain't looking good when you come back. You're looking bad. I don't even know what they're using out there. Some kind of chemically enhanced stuff or something. You know, I was going to meet one day and this girl said, she said, Uh I went in the, the hospital to get rid of a heroin habit. And she said, I was sitting there and the doctor came down with all the papers in his hand and said, uh, Miss Jones, why are you here? She said, I'm here to kick the heroin out of it. He said, you ain't got an ounce of heroin in your body. So she said to the people in the rooms, what am I using then? We don't even know. what." You want insanity, I'm going to give you insanity. You go into a neighborhood you don't belong in, you walk up to some guy named Big Head Something, Right? You give him your money, and he says, I'll be right back. (laughs) That's your first commitment to prayer. He comes back, and he hands you a bag that says, Death Wish. And you go home and put it in your body. If that ain't insanity, I don't know any other way to explain it to you. See, the seventh step I started using, the seventh step is me acting out. I you know what? I put down gambling six months after I was clean. Five months after I was clean, I stopped sleeping around. I put down smoking cigar. I used to walk around smoking a cigar and spit in the back at the same time. You know how we are. We can't do like one thing, you
1: know?
2: I mean, when I watch a movie, i got to read the paper with it, you know. I mean, just read the book, you know. See how we are. We're all Geminis. Just born in the wrong month, that's all. I got to the eighth step, by then I thought I was Snow White and I took my list to my sponsor and he said, Who's fat Ned and Fast Eddie? I said, They're drug dealers I stuck up. He said, What are you gonna go down to projects and make amends to drug dealers? Imagine doing that, going down there and saying, I gotta come up and make amends. Come on up, Jimmy. We want to see if you can fly.
1: <laughs>
2: That's why he got a sponsor. I had Tom, Dick, and Harry on here. He says, Tom, Dick, and Harry, who they? I said, their husbands and wives I slept with. He said, oh, man, are you crazy or what? See, it was in the eighth step where I really learned that most of this stuff is getting on your knees and praying. The power of prayer I learned in the eighth step. Because of my six, four, fifth, six, and seven step. And in the ninth step, you only need the willingness. The willingness. That's all you need to make amends. Let me tell you something about the ninth step. If God wanted you to run around town making amends to everybody, you know, you never get anything done. Right? And what happens is, in the ninth step, usually when God puts that person in your life that you've got to make amends to, He usually needs you to do something for him. My city councilman back in Baltimore, I made amends to, and I spent two days, two different times on the phone trying to get his daughter into treatment. It didn't work, but he thanked me, and that was one more amends made. you know? I got to the 10th step, and I get up in the morning, and my prayer is, I get on my knees and I say, God, allow me to do your will, not mine, you know? And I had a sponsee on the 10th step, And I said, well, he was doing a 9-step. I said, when are you going to start working a 10-step? He said, well, I ain't made amends to this guy in Alaska. I said, Alaska? I said, God wants you to make amends to somebody in Alaska. He'll fly him down here. we got to move along in these steps. If you're a drug addict of my kind, what kind of information were you running on? You know what? When I was a little kid, the guy 10 years older than me nicknamed me Diamond Jim. And they told me I was the best second-story man they ever met. See, they put you up in the building and they wait. They're waiting for pit bulls and hours and guns to go off. And the way this disease works is, once that happens to you, you go recruit some little guy and nickname him Pearl or something, you know, and tell him he's the best second-story man you ever met. That's how we pass this disease along. We're big business. If you think I'm kidding, back in the 60s, they had one jail in our town in, Hay- in a place called Hagerstown. They got that ten up there now. We are a big business. A lot of people don't want us getting clean. And the 11th step, I think, is a step for people who been around here for, for a long time. I think it's a step that, that allows us to cross that bridge I talked about because we have to pray for the knowledge of God's will. And I have to do that every day because I'm an addict in every way, you know. And what I, with the 12-step for me, it's about showing up. It's showing up that them old-timers that we're carrying on this message. My, my first sponsor was named Buzz, and he was this little guy about this big. I don't know. So, and he terrorized me. He did. I never lied to that man, you know. And he would tell me stuff like, Meet me at this meeting down here. And I would go down to the meeting and he wouldn't be there. He did that about ten times to me. One day I didn't go to a meeting, and he said to me, Did you go to that meeting tonight? I said, Uh uh, no, I didn't go down there, boss. He said, Good, because I was there. Man, talking about humility, learning humility, right? And um, in that twelfth step, they always what he told me was this. He said, "Jimmy, I don't care if you want to do it or not. Just do it. Just show up." And you know what the funny thing is? When we don't want to leave that ball game or that date we're on, or this or that we're asked to do something, I might not want to do it when I walk through them doors. But when I walk out of here, I'm glad that I did that meeting. And I love narcotics and And what you people in these rooms showed me is what I've been going through the last year, eight years is really tough, man. And the first thing was that I had to go through was in 1999, God chose to take my best friend and daughter. And, man, you know, when you lose a child, your life is changed forever. And Narcotics Anonymous said it is, but it's going to go on. You know, because those guys took me to to a step-meeting the night that she passed on, you know. And for the last eight years, I took care of my aunt for six and a half years, and I take care of my mother and father. It's taking five of my brothers and sisters to let me go away for ten days. You know? But you people told me that I can do that. You know? And I can, one day at a time. See, this fellowship is a gift from God. What you choose to do with that gift is up to you. You Choose to come back and give away what was freely given to me by you people. Thanks for listening.
0: Thank you, Jimmy. Now, I'd like to introduce our second speaker, Trish S. from California. Yeah. Hi, I'm an addict, my name is Trish, and, um, God, there's just no way I can, like, follow that, okay? So, if you're expecting that, please, just, like, don't disappoint yourself and leave now, okay? Um, I, I'm, I'm really nervous. In fact, I'm terrified. And um, and part of that comes from. Part of that comes from the fact that I think that I'm really honored and humbled by being invited to be here to share my experience, strength, and hope with you. And um, and I'm just an addict. You know, so if you're looking up here and you're thinking that I'm about something because I'm here, I'm not. I'm just like you, okay? I, I'm somebody who used until I couldn't use anymore, and then I ended up here. And um, and I'm so grateful for that. I'm so, so grateful for that. And um, one of the people who, one of, one of my favorite... Favorite, favorite people in the world is my friend Neely. Um, She's been my best friend for 10 years and um, she's always believed in me, you know? She's always believed in me. And, And two years ago, I was leaving a job which was the only job I'd ever had in recovery. I had it for 13 and a half years. I had gone to that job loaded. I had been there for five months before I got clean. I was a messenger in downtown San Francisco, and I used to have this break in the middle of the day where I'd hop on our our public transportation, we call it BART, and I'd go out to 16th and Mission where you could cop dope, and I'd shoot dope, I'd throw up in the gutter, I'd get back on the BART, and I'd go back to work. And... um, And through working the principles of this program, what happened for me is that my life has gotten really, really, really good. Um, I I had no education other than a high school diploma. I started as a messenger. When I left that place um, two years ago, December, after 13 and a half years, I was a director. And I don't say that except to tell you that by working the principles of this program, your life is going to get better than you ever imagined.
1: <clears throat>
0: so my friend Neely, she really believes in me. And I met her ten years ago at a meeting on um, at the Haight-Ashbury Free Medical Clinic. And... Um, she had come around here for the first six months drinking and um, realized that it finally said in the readings that alcohol is a drug. And so she stopped drinking. And she was a coffee maker at the 8 o'clock meeting on Sunday nights. And um, and I told her that I would be honored to be her friend. And um, And she had a dream. Her dream was to become a firefighter. And she worked in a bank. You know, she showed up Monday through Friday. She worked in a bank. She worked on computers. And her dream was to become a firefighter. And I told her she could do it. I believed in her. And, um, and so she worked out. She worked her butt off. She worked out. She went to school. She took all the classes. She joined the fire academy. She passed the test. And um, four and a half years ago, she became a member of the Menlo Park Fire Department. And um, her love is urban search and rescue. Repelling off of bridges. (laughs) Repelling off of buildings. Like, this is the person that's going to come and save your ass when the building is burning down, okay? She's supposed to be here with me. On Monday night, she got put on alert. Her urban search and rescue team um, was put on alert. And on Tuesday morning at 4 o'clock in the morning, they flew her out to Louisiana. And, um, And can I just say what a miracle it is that we're out there saving people? That, you know what? Not all of us are out there looting. Not all of us are out there breaking into buildings or stealing stuff or shooting guns. You know, some of us are actually out there saving lives. And that is the power of Narcotics Anonymous and believing in someone. I got clean on September 28th, 1990. I got clean because... um I couldn't do it anymore. Um, I had tried and tried and tried, and you know, and I, I, what I tried to do actually, if I had tried to do it my way, you know, I had tried to do it by, um, you know, moving cities, changing jobs, changing friends, changing drugs. You know, I had tried to do it my way, and um, and when I got to Narcotic Narcotics Anonymous, what happened was is that. As a result of it never working <laughs> my way, um, I decided to try it your way. You know, I decided to try the suggestions that you guys had given me. And so what I did is I went to meetings, I got a sponsor, I started working the steps, I prayed to higher power, and I became a service. And those five things are my foundation. That's what keeps me clean. And... Um, really bad cotton milk and um because I'm so nervous so um I'm just God is going to take this and it's going to be okay I'm sure of that so um so I I, you know when I got clean I had a job I was married I had you know I'd done what all good addicts do I found a great co and I married him and um because like he wasn't getting away and um and, and he took care of me, you know. He took care of me. He, he kept a roof over my head. He fed me. He kept me closed. And as a result of that, I got to spend all my energy chasing dope, you know. And um, that was a good thing. Um, because I think that in some ways it probably brought me here really, really quickly. And actually, you know, the first person who believed in me was this crazy psycho guy called Fritz who used to go to meetings in San Francisco, and I hung out in the Haight-Ashbury. I actually lived on Haight and Cole, and and I remember I was dope sick one day. I was sitting in the gutter, and and Fritz walked up to me, and, and, you know, he was one of these guys who was in and out and in and out and in and out, and it didn't matter because he was back and in and out, and you know what? It was okay. It's okay. Those people are okay to be here. And we should welcome them and believe in them. Because you never know when one of them is going to walk up to somebody and say, you know what, you should try a meeting of NA. Which is what happened to me. You know, that psycho crazy guy like said, you know, you could really try Narcotics Anonymous. It might work for you. You know, and here I am, 14 years, 11 months, and five days later, and I haven't left. And you know that moment of silence that we have at the end of the meeting, for so the attitude still suffers? That's because we believe. Because we have hope. Hope is powerful. It is a powerful thing. (sighs) So anyway, I I left my husband and um, I took two suitcases. I left a marriage after five years. I had tried to get clean. I came back to the house and he had dope in the house. And I knew that I couldn't stay there or I was going to die. And so I took my two little suitcases and I moved into a halfway house for women with 14 women and two bathrooms. And I remember the two bathrooms distinctly. And I had been on my own since I was 15. I'm one of seven kids. Um, and I left, I left home early because it was chaos. And, um, you know, and, I, and all of a sudden I, like, had all these rules. I had to be home by a certain time. My bed had to be made. You know, all this stuff. And, um, and it was like, it's okay. It's okay. I can do this. And you know what's interesting is that is that while Jimmy alluded to this that while there are a ton of people who believe in you here in Narcotics Anonymous, there are people out there who believe in you too. and um, And some of those people include professionals who, God bless them, I could never do it, okay? I tried. Um, but those professionals who work in the um, who work in the field of helping addicts to recover, you know, I had tried and tried and tried for years before I ever got clean, for five years. And, um, and these people never stopped believing in me. They never stopped believing that it was possible for me to get clean. And that was just like really powerful for me. You know, because I, you know, I, I was the kind of addict that I was so ashamed of my behavior that I hadn't called my family in three years. I didn't want to talk to them. I wasn't the one who was always going back begging for money. Hell no, I was ashamed. I didn't want them to see me with with scars and tracks and you know, I didn't want that to happen. So I just didn't call. So in the end, these were the only people who said, You can do this. And of course, those were the people that pointed me to Narcotics Anonymous. I go back there around my anniversary just to say thank you. Because you know what? The truth is is that we don't all make it. And it's rare. So I think it's really important for them to know that I'm grateful. And um, that's cool. I like doing that. God, it got really quiet in here, didn't it? Um, Okay, so I'm not going to say anything profound either. So you can get up and go out if you're waiting for that as well, okay? I got a sponsor and I started working steps right away. Um, And I have to say that the steps are freedom. They have actually, the steps have allowed me to be inside my own skin and not want to kill myself or you most of the time most of the time (laughs) because there are moments you know and um, and I work the steps now not because of the pain I'm in but because I want to be the best person my higher power wants me to be Um, okay so recovery has been a ride (laughs) that's like the best way to put it is that is that recovery has been such an incredible ride um, so, you know, I, I started working steps right away at five months clean. They, a meeting that I was a home group member of waived clean time. I became a group service representative, and I went to area, and I found my place. My people. <laughs> and um, And I've never left. I have never left service. I I want to say that the people who are putting this convention on have worked their asses off. And thank you. And it would really be cool if you walked by and you saw somebody being of service and you thanked them personally. Um, Because it's hard work. It's really hard work, and we're not easy people to please. (laughs) Um, Currently, I'm on a convention committee, and um, it's hard work, and we're not easy people to please. So I, I love being of service, and I have to say that being of service is my spiritual foundation. It's my connection to God that gets me out of the way so that I can um, move my ego away and let God come in. And by letting God come in, what that does, because I'm a control freak, which is why I'm really good in service, and um, by by letting ego go out and God come in, what happens is, is that it's God's will, not my will. And that is really an important place for me to be in. Um, The Green and Gold book says humility is the perfect place for an addict, and um, I have to agree with that. This last step, this last time that I worked the steps, I worked through the Green and Gold book, the workbook,
2: and I worked it with a
0: sponsor. And um, what happened is that I had. I had the most profound experience working the steps because what happened this time around is that I finally got that it's okay to be human. I finally got that I didn't have to be perfect at this. I finally got that that the steps are what allow me to be human because I can make mistakes. I can inventory it. I can find out what my part is. I can write down who I need to make an amends to. I can talk to my sponsor and I can clean it up. And then I can invite a loving, caring God into my life to help me not do it again. But because I'm human, I make mistakes. And I hurt people. And, And... I was just going to say that I don't ever do it on purpose, but that would be a lie. I rarely hurt people on purpose. My husband is the one who suffers from the on-purpose point the most. And the reason why that is, is because I feel safest with him. Because I know that he loves me. And I know that He has seen the darkest side of me, and that no matter what, He loves me. And um, that's pretty powerful. Um, so I've had um, I've had sponsors. Um, I've had three sponsors in recovery, and um, and every single sponsor has taught me something of what I needed to learn. And every single sponsor has loved me. And I believe that what our job is here is to love people unconditionally no matter what. Because people out there, I mean, we trash each other out there. You know, we do not... Let's just say that we're not real nurturing out there. Which is why... When we come in here as broken people, it's really important just to love people and to let them make mistakes. You know, the new... Well, I shouldn't say that. Okay, so... Um, okay, so when I was first new around here,
1: I'm going to say it.
0: Okay, so when I was first new around here, I was grateful that, that men slept with newcomers because they slept with me. And I had no self-esteem, okay? So the only esteem that I had was my sexuality. And because of that, I stuck around. I felt wanted. And what happened was, is through sticking around, I stuck around long enough to hear that I was more than just what was between my legs. But I am that, too. (laughs) Because the gift today is to be a whole person. But what what was really, and I have to say, this was just my experience, you know. What happened was, is that I met a guy, and he didn't want to sleep with me. And I thought, what's wrong with me? Why don't you want to sleep with me? Don't you believe in me? <laughs> He's like, yeah, I believe in you much more than you even know. And and this, this guy, he became my friend. And we hung out. And um, he was great. He was really, really great. He taught me how... To look inside my heart and to understand that the generous, loving person I am in here is who God wants me to be. Because ask any of my friends, and they'll tell you that that's who I am. And um, and I, you know, I used to be so embarrassed about that when I was out on the street because the truth was is that that was a weakness. You didn't want anybody to see how loving, caring, and generous you were. Because they take advantage of you. And now, I finally am okay with that. Okay with being the person that I am today. And, um, and that's a gift. And, and that's from the process of working the steps. Because it's allowed me to be inside my own skin and be comfortable. And I'm really, really grateful for the steps. And if you haven't worked them, do. As Bob Berg used to say, just work the steps, or die, blank, blank. So it's been... um it's been a hell of a ride. Okay, so two years ago, I left a job. It was the only job I'd ever had in recovery. Um, it was all I knew. Um, I was sure that the only reason that they wanted me there was not because of how talented and how skilled I was, but because they'd had me for so long. And, um, and, and I, was, I was terrified of leaving the job because I thought that I will never, ever get a job. And you can insert any blank in there that you want, okay? I will never, ever get a man. I will never, ever get a friend. I will never, ever get a job as good as that again. And so my fear was based on not trusting that God was going to take care of me. My fear was based on my head... My fear was based on yesterday. My fear was based on all those old tapes inside my head that said I was never going to be good enough. And what happened was, and, you know, this job was phenomenal. I had I had a, a, an office on, on the 18th floor overlooking the financial district in the San Francisco financial district, seeing the ocean. I had a lot of money, yada, yada, yada. And the truth was is I was miserable. I was going to work, and at least once a week, sometimes more, I would close my office door, and I would break down into sobs because I hated what I was doing. And I had to get out. But it was a process for me. I prayed. I talked to people. I talked to my sponsor. And my best friend, she believed in me. She said, it's okay. You can do it. And and I need to say that for... Eight years prior to that, I was going to school, I was working full-time, and I was going to school, I was taking two classes every semester, and it was painfully slow, but last May I graduated with a Bachelor of Science, and a minor in Philosophy and Religion, so if you want to talk shit, we can do that afterwards, and so I asked for a package I asked to be laid off Um, they laid me off I left the job I was terrified but I knew that God didn't want me to be unhappy I knew that my higher powers will for me was not to go and cry and sob and break down and and what happened was and let me just back up a little bit you know I grew up in a family. My parents got divorced when I was very young. My mom is very liberal. She works in the childcare industry. My dad is very conservative, and he works in the aerospace industry. Like, my dad is, like, whatever. Anyway, I was scared of my dad growing up because he drank a lot, and he used to come home, and he hit us. You know, so growing up, I was always afraid of my dad. And when I got clean, I started to have a relationship with my dad. And um, and what happened was, is that I had never, ever felt like my dad approved of me until I got this job that I was about to leave. And... um and so through, through the principles of the program and through attempting to have a relationship with my father, what happened was is I was talking to him on a regular basis. And I called him and I said, Dad, I'm miserable. I need to get out of here and I don't know what to do. And he said, you know what? Life is too short. You need to leave. And it's okay because I believe in you and it's going to be all right. And I was just like... Oh, my God. It was, it was like a miracle, okay? Just a miracle. And for some reason, and this was a little kid in me, it was like that gave me permission to, to finally close the door on that decision, you know? And um, so I went to school full-time. I graduated last May. Um, I, I, I had never gone to school full-time. It was such a pleasure and um, and then, because I got this package for leaving my job, I took the money and I went to Europe and I went for seven weeks. and um, And I went alone. You know, because I knew that I could go to meetings of Narcotics Anonymous every place that I went and there would be somebody there who believed in me. So I came home. Then I had to find a job because the money was running out, and um, I didn't know what to do. And all of a sudden, um, I went to a, like some job fairs and yada yada. And I turned into I turned in a resume, and this woman said, "Hey, have you done such and such?" And I said, "Yeah, actually, I have." And she said, "You know, you should really put that on your resume because it's really hot right now." And I said, "Really?" I said, "Okay." So I put it on my resume and I have worked ever since. And um, the job that I have today is I work for myself. I set my own hours. I set my own vacation time. I do as much as I want. And I used to think that if I was doing that, that if I didn't like the client I worked for, I could just leave. But you know what? The principles of this program have taught me differently because once I make a commitment... I can't just get up and walk out. Sorry. I just can't. And I just finished a job with a client that I didn't like very much. Um, and I was there for six months. Um, I went home on the weekends. Um, but there were great meetings in the area that I was in. And so I always felt like there was somebody there. And um, and that was a big guess. So, um yeah so I work for myself it's pretty cool and um, and talk about trusting in God you know now I really have to trust in God I really have to have faith that I'm going to be taken care of that the cash is going to keep coming in that the cash flow is still going to happen and I have to show up I I really have to show up it's not like I I don't have any sick time anymore (laughs) you know so broken eyelash or not um, you didn't think I was listening did you so um, I just want to talk really briefly about um, about the person who probably believes in me most um, other than my sponsor and um, and that would be my husband um, eight years ago Actually, ten years ago, he was doing time in the Susanville State Penitentiary in California with my brother. And, um... I like convicts. Ask my friends. They'll tell you. And, um... And, and, uh, My brother... My brother, I was getting clean and I was sending him literature and I was visiting him on a regular basis and I had just come through another shitty relationship. And what finally happened in that shitty relationship is for the first time I was like, what do you mean you don't want to be with me? I'm pretty cool. If you don't want to be with me, then you need to go. Yeah, because you know what? God has something better for me and I just need to open myself up to that. But I can't do that if you're still here taking up this space. So you got to go. And um, he did. And and then what happened is is that um, my brother introduced me to Brian. And Brian lived in a different area than I did. He was in Narcotics Anonymous. He's a member. And um, he um, he lived an hour away from where I live. And um, and. And so I had him meet me at um, the biggest meeting that we have in San Francisco. It was at Post and Mason. There were like 300 people there. Because I figured that if I met him and that if he was a dog, I could ditch him. Because I'm just not that spiritual, okay? And um, and he wasn't. But, you know, I have to say that there weren't any big fireworks going off. It wasn't like, ooh, baby, you're the one. And... Um, And and we became friends, and we went out to dinner afterwards, and then he went back to Napa. And then what happened is is that we created this relationship over the phone, right? We were talking every night. And um, I fell in love with Brian over the phone. And um, if God gives me a gift, I really need to be aware that the wrapping is not the gift. Okay. That that. Okay. So let me just say that Brian is five foot five. He's bald and um, he's like a little overweight, like literally just a little bit. And um, he's got that cute little, you know, whatever. Anyway, so. Um, So I had always imagined that, you know, Mr. Wright was going to be tall, dark, and handsome, whatever. And and here was Brian, who was shorter than me, but I would talk to him on the phone, and, um, you know, he was very involved in service. He had a sponsor. He was working steps. He sponsored people. He was going to meetings. He Not only that, but he was doing community service. He was answering the suicide hotline once a week. He would give up a night of sleep for that. I don't know about you, but my sleep is really important. So that was big for me, you know. And so, so I fell in love with him over the phone. And um, we started dating, and we didn't move in together until after nine months, which for me was a miracle, because the other relationship that I had where we moved in, we met, we fell in love, we had dinner, he spent the night, he moved in, and it happened in two weeks. <laughs> you know, and, um, and nine months after Brian moved in, um, we decided that we wanted to be together, and we made a commitment and we bought a house together. And, um, you know, a commitment between you and that other person in the bank for 30 years is a pretty freaking big commitment, if you ask me. And then um, what happened is after 9-11, um, you know, I decided that I wanted to be married. Um, because... The real reason was because I saw these people who had been domestic partners and they couldn't take care of each other because of the law. And I thought, I don't want that ever to happen to us, you know, and so, plus I wanted to have a big-ass party. (laughs) Really, that was was kind of even more, but... um, and we did. We we had. Okay. So can I just say I had the fairy tale wedding. I got married at the Palace of Fine Arts in my the best dress in my fantasy head that I wanted. I had 200 people there, some of which are in this room now. Thank you. Um, the next day, I had another wedding, which was a pagan celebration, because that's my spirituality. And it was a hand fasting, and that was fabulous. I had a great time. So over the weekend, I had like 350 people who I knew and loved me there at that, and Brian there. Oh yes,
1: that's right, and Brian.
0: And that was just—it was fabulous. It was just—it was just fabulous. And you know what? I'd always wanted that. How awesome to be able to believe enough in myself to be able to do that. And so um, in October we'll have been married for three years. We'll have been together for eight. And um, this man loves me so much that he lets me be who I am. And what that means is that deepest, darkest, ugliest stuff he's okay with. And it also means that he's the person that I make amends to most. Because I feel safest with him. I, he's the one that that, that that stuff kind of squeezes out and goes and gets, you know, yucky. And then I have to go and pull it back and, and say I'm sorry. But I'm really, really grateful for him. Um, we've had a hard year. Um, my... Um, you know, when I had a year, you know, I don't know if they told you this or not, but, and it was actually in a movie I saw recently, but when I first got clean, they said, you know, you don't get to get into a relationship right away. You get a plant, you keep it for a year if it's still alive, you get a pet. Another year if it's still alive, then you can get into a relationship. Of course, I ignored that advice, but, but I got a pet when I had about a year clean. Um, she was a kitty. And she was about a year old. Her name was Stinky. She was an SPCA rescue cat, and you know she didn't like you know. Anyway, so um, this cat was the oldest relation, the oldest continuous relationship that I had since i had been clean, And this year she passed away. And um, and two days after that, Brian's sponsor passed away. And um, he was an elder in this fellowship. He had. 28 years clean, and um, so it, it's, been, it's been a really hard, that happened in um, the 11th of July and the 13th of July, and um, it's been a really hard year for us, and um, so we've just been kind of holding on to each other and letting the fellowship hold us in San Francisco as well, and, um, and it's Okay. Because you know what? Death is part of life. It happens. So, I guess if I want to sum it up, like, what I really want to say is that I believe that anybody here can come in off the street, and if they have the willingness to get clean and stay clean, that they can do it here in Narcotics Anonymous. It's been my obligation to show up for them. And to help them in any way that I can. I don't get to choose who's willing and who's not. It's none of my business. I, I, that's all God stuff. I just have to ask as if anybody has that willingness. So with that, I just want to say that I really appreciate being asked to share. And um, thank you for believing in me. And thank you for letting me believe in you. Let's thank Jimmy and Trish for speaking. And Shane has been asked to read with you, Recover.
2: I'm Shane, I'm an addict. We do recover. When, at the end of the road, we find that we can no longer function as a human being, either with or without drugs, we all face the same dilemma. What is there left to do? There seems to be this alternative. Either go on as best we can to the bitter ends, jails, institutions, or death, or find a new way to live. In years gone by, very few addicts ever had this last choice. Those who are addicted today are more fortunate. For the first time in man's entire history, a simple way has been proving itself in the lives of many addicts. It is available to us all. This is a simple, spiritual, not religious program known as Narcotics Anonymous.
0: And now if we can all make a circle around the room and close the meeting with the third step part.